Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And of course, today being Easter, we're going to talk about the resurrection, but not, not so much the event of the resurrection, but we're going to look at three areas. Uh, we're going to look at the power in his life, the possibility in his life, and the pleasure in our faith. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul writes this letter to the Corinthians, and we're going to read a few verses here before we begin. So read with me, starting in verse 1 of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which you also received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, and after that He was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to be present, but some have fallen asleep and that he was seen by James, and then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. Down to verse 17. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Do you hear that, church? If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. It's not just that Jesus died for us, if he does not live, then his death is meaningless. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Father, we just ask you today that by the power of your Spirit, you would open our hearts and open our minds, open the eyes of our understanding, God, that we would hear your truth that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, the carnal man cannot understand the things of the Spirit, for they are spiritually discerned. And we ask you today, God, that you would cause us to hear and see and to receive your truth, that we might be changed and transformed for your glory, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to I begin right there in verse 22, and I want to I just expound a little bit on this verse before we begin before we get going. As in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Sometimes this verse is used as, um, as a verse to, to promote what's called a doctrine of universalism or universal salvation. But we need to read the scripture very carefully what it is saying here. As in Adam all die, 
Uh, for those of you that have gone through the Not I But Christ Bible study, you know that we, we talk a lot about this. Uh, that Bible study is, is titled after Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, Paul said. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. And so as in Adam, all die. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3.3, 3, Nicodemus, truly I say to you, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so born again means there is a second birth, right? So all those who were in Adam, when, did we, when were we born into Adam? In our first birth, our natural birth. Everyone born of the flesh, in other words, Jesus goes on in John 3, 6, and he says that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So when we were born the first time of the flesh in our mother's womb, we were born in Adam, and we, we were born in death, right? We were born in sin and death because we were born separated from God. We didn't become separated from God when we committed our sin for the first time. We were born in sin. You know, it's like the example I always use. My dog didn't become a dog when he started barking. My dog barked because he was a dog. You didn't become a sinner when you started sinning. You sin because that's who you are in your first birth. That's the nature we're born with, the, the nature of sin and death. And so when we're born in Adam with that nature of sin and death, we're all born dead. We all die. Even so, in Christ, remember I always tell you this, take your little yellow highlighter, go through your New Testament and highlight the words, in Christ. And you'll see that some 230-something times this phrase, in Christ, is used in the New Testament. Because what we have from God, we have where? Not in the world, we have it in Christ. Even so, in Christ, all shall be made alive. Who are those in Christ? All of those who are born again. So if you're born again, you're in Christ, and that means you have life. We celebrate today, and we should celebrate every day, resurrection life. You have life today if you are in Christ because Jesus is risen. He is not still in a tomb somewhere. He lives. And because He lives... You live also if you have been born again in Christ. Amen? So let's talk about the power in his life. We are forgiven by Jesus' death. We are saved by Jesus' life. We are crucified with him in his death. We are raised with him in his life. This is what the letter to the Romans clearly lays out for us. And so the early church not only had an annual remembrance of the resurrection, Friday was Passover. And Passover and Easter don't always coincide. It just so happened this weekend, Passover and Easter kind of came together. Sometimes they're weeks apart. But Jesus was the Passover lamb. He was crucified at Passover. He was that perfect lamb of God. And so the early church had an annual remembrance of the resurrection. But more importantly, they had a weekly celebration of it. It was called the Lord's Day. We call it Sunday. This is the Lord's Day. Jesus was resurrected on a Sunday. We know that for sure because we know what Hebrew feast 
that represented. And that Hebrew feast of first fruits always fell on a Sunday. That's why we know Sunday was the day the Lord was resurrected. And they called it the Lord's Day because that was the day of his resurrection. And so we, we come together on Sunday or the Lord's Day and we assemble together and we worship God weekly. Amen? And so this is what the early church did. In fact, they didn't just celebrate the resurrection once a year. They celebrated it weekly, even daily. And we see that the fact... Uh, The fact of the resurrection, the reality of the resurrection was something that they lived every day. You know, Easter and Christmas are the two days of the year that a lot of people come to church that they don't normally come to church. But the resurrection is not just something that we remember as an event once a year. And so these believers assembled together weekly. They partook of the Lord's table just like we did. They their feast looked a little bit different than ours. The feast that they partook of is going to look more like what you're going to do when you get home today, right? How many of you are going to have Easter dinner, Easter lunch? That's more what they did. Every week, they'd get together, man, they'd have a big, what they called a love feast, and they'd, they'd bring their favorite dishes, and they'd cook, and they'd bring food, and they'd come to a place, and man, they'd have, they'd have dinner together. They'd have this feast together. But part of that feast was they would remember the body and the blood of Jesus, and they would take time out of that love feast, and they would set aside a specific time when they would break the bread, and they would, they would take, partake of the cup, and they would declare his body, and they would declare his blood. And so this was an integral part of worship in the early church. This is why today, uh, 2,000 years later, this is why we still partake of the Lord's table on a weekly basis, because that was the pattern to declare the Lord's death. In declaring His death, they also declared His resurrection. And they declared it in the power of His life. Paul said, even until Jesus comes again, you proclaim His death when you come to this table, even until He comes again. So in proclaiming His death, we proclaim His life and the power of His resurrection. So the significance of the resurrection is not found in one day. The significance of the resurrection is to be found and lived every day in Christ. Amen? The significance of the resurrection is to be found and lived every day in Christ, in the power of His life. Because we are not alive because of our life. We are alive because of His life. And so in the power of His life, With God, nothing is impossible. Do you believe that? Do you believe that with God, nothing is impossible? Well, some of you sound convinced, but some of you don't. Do you believe that with God, nothing is impossible? Now, this isn't my, these aren't my words. This is the word of God. So the possibility in his will, God has a will for our life. God has a will and a purpose in all things. You believe that? Somebody wrote, actually it was a Jewish rabbi wrote a book, said, Why do bad things happen to good people? And I always say that book should, be, should have been titled, Why do good things happen to bad people? Because the Bible says, Jesus said, none are good except God. So we're all born into this world, not good. We're all born in sin and death. And it's like, well, why do good things happen to us? You know, why do, we, why do human beings always want to see the glass half empty instead of half full? I mean, 
It's easy to focus on the bad things that happen in our life, right? It's easy to focus on our challenges. It's easy to focus on the things that are pressing against us. But what about the blessings? What about all of the blessings? You know, husbands and wives, anybody that's been married any amount of time, I don't know about you, but somebody told me one time, so me and my husband, me and my wife have uh, been married for a bunch of years, and we've never had an argument. I'm like, dude, who are you? I mean, like, are you kidding me? You mean you've been married that long? You've never had an argument with your wife? I'm like, gosh, I feel like a real sinner, you know? I mean, God, I mean, I'm just being honest with you, you know? I'm just a regular guy. Me and my wife, sometimes we argue. Not much anymore, but do we? No, not like we used to. I mean, she used to be really bad, but God's really dealt with her. I mean, God's done a real work in her, and uh, she's a testimony right here, a miracle sitting in our midst. <laughs> See, <laughs> my, my daughter's in-laws are going to have lunch with us, so I feel safe today. She won't, <laughs> she won't hit me till after they leave, no. <laughs> no, but you know what I'm saying? It's the truth. You know, why do we focus on the things that we would deem negative? Why do we focus on the things that we don't like? Why don't we dwell on the things that are blessings? I mean, we can look at anybody and say, you know, I don't like that about that person. I don't like that bad habit. I don't like the way you wear your hair. I don't have that problem anymore. You know, why don't we focus on the blessings? Life is full of challenges. Your personal life, life in general. Don't focus on just the impossibilities. Don't focus on just the things that you... Focus on the blessings. This is what Philippians 4, 8 tells us. Think on these things. Meditate on these things. Now, I'm not, a, I'm not a, you know, one of these positive thinking persons that think you can never have a negative thought. I mean, I live in realville, okay? We live in reality. There's challenges. There are negative things that happen in life, and we've got to deal with the negative things that happen. We've got to deal with the challenges. But we also need to be people of faith that understand that that we serve a God, that we have been saved by a God, we have been created by a God that is bigger than our challenges. We've been saved by a God, given life by a God who doesn't see impossibility. He doesn't. Because nothing is impossible with Him. So the will of God is not limited to the impossible. When God does something we consider impossible, you know what we call it? We call it a miracle. As if it's something God, man, I can't believe God was able to do that. No, listen, God can do anything, right? It's just a miracle to us because it was impossible to us, but, but it wasn't impossible to God. We call those things miracles. We see the impossible, but God doesn't know the impossible, because with him all things are possible. So think about Jesus, the Pharisees and the crowd. We watched the Passion of the Christ last night. And you think about that crowd that was there, the multitude that was yelling, crucify him, crucify him. The Pharisees and the crowd could not see the salvation and the power of God in the suffering Messiah. They could only see the impossibility and the weakness of humanity. So they stood at the foot of the cross and they said things like, if you're really the king, if you're really the Messiah, why don't you save yourself? Why don't you come down off of that cross? And they mocked Jesus. 
because they could only see the impossibility and the weakness of humanity. The disciples even, the disciples of Jesus, could only see the impossibility of the situation as they witnessed Jesus die on the cross. He was sealed in the tomb, and they couldn't see beyond his death, and they couldn't see beyond the reality of Jesus sealed in that tomb. But God is the God of the impossible. John 20, verse 9 and 19 tell us this, that they were hiding out for fear of the Jews. Now, if they really believed that Jesus was who he claimed to be and who the Scriptures claimed him to be, do you think they would have been hiding out from the Jews? Absolutely not. They were hiding out in fear of their own lives because they couldn't see beyond the impossibility of what they witnessed on the cross. They really saw Jesus die on the cross. They really saw him put in that tomb. They knew he was sealed in that tomb. They saw that dead body on that cross. They watched that Roman centurion put that spear in the side of Jesus and blood and water flow out. He was dead. He was really dead. And they couldn't see beyond that. And the impossibility of that death. When it was told that the virgin would conceive a child, it seemed impossible. But here's what the angel declared in Luke 137 With God, nothing will be impossible. Can you say that with me? With God, nothing will be impossible. I want some of you to consider the impossible situations you might be facing right now in your lives. Maybe in your marriages, maybe in your family, maybe on your job, maybe in your home. Maybe you're battling with something even in your own body, a sickness, a disease. And to the world and to man and to everything that we can see and know and understand, it seems like an impossible situation. But God declares in His Word, with God nothing will be impossible. Now, I don't want to just, I don't want to just try to build you up emotionally. I want you to really consider what the Word of God says. I want you to really think. I don't want you to, I don't want you to just believe this today or say this today because... It's what I'm saying. Or because this is Easter and it's an Easter message and with God, nothing will be impossible. I want you to really consider this is what God uttered by this angel. This is what God, by the Spirit of God, recorded in His Word. This is what He declares for us today. With God, nothing will be impossible. I can tell you that truth, but I can't make you believe that truth. God has to give you a revelation of that truth. And the question is, do you want a revelation of that truth? Do you really want to believe that with God, nothing will be impossible? I want to encourage you to desire that. I want to encourage you to seek after that. To knock until it's open to you, to seek until you find it, to ask until it's given to you. 
that something goes off in the very depths of your being. That when you, when you read those words, when you hear those words, when you consider those words with God, nothing will be impossible. I want something to go off on the inside of you. I can't make that happen. This Easter message today will not make that happen for you. But God can. And the question is, do you desire that? Do you want to be a person that lives their life knowing that you know, that you know, that you know, deep down inside, regardless of how daunting the situation might be around you, that with God, nothing will be impossible? See, that doesn't make logical sense. Because logic says, okay, here's my situation, here's uh, my resources, can't do it, it's impossible. But God defies logic. God is very logical. God is very practical. But God is not bound and limited by what we say is logic. What we say is illogical or what we say is supernatural is very logical and very natural for God. (laughs) Do you understand that? What we call supernatural is not supernatural to God. It's natural to Him. Miracles are natural to Him. They're not natural to us. Defying logic is not natural for us, but it's very natural for him. God's not bound by the things that we're bound by in this creation that he created. By the physical laws that he created and put in place. He's not bound by those. He can't be. Genesis 3.15, there was a prophecy. It's the very first prophecy spoken concerning Jesus, recorded in the Bible, said that there would be a seed that would arise and it would crush the head of the serpent. And I want you to think about this. How would a seed arise from fallen humanity to crush the head of the serpent? The answer, with God, nothing will be impossible. How could a crucified Jesus be raised again on the third day as the first fruits of resurrection? The answer, with God, nothing will be impossible. Or Ephesians 2, 5 and 6, it says we were dead in our trespass and in our sin. How could men totally and completely dead in sin and separated from God come to live in Christ? Impossible for you and for me, not Impossible for God. For with God, all things are possible. So you didn't save yourself. God saved you. It was impossible for us to save ourselves, but God did the impossible. It was impossible for you to find a way to Jesus, but God made a way where there was no way. He did the impossible. How can men who are darkness, Ephesians 5.8, become light? In the Lord. How does darkness become light? It doesn't until God makes it light. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. With God, all things are possible. How can man born of the flesh be born again of the Spirit? Exactly what Nicodemus asked Jesus Jesus, are you saying I'm to? Enter my mother's womb a second time? 
Jesus said, no, Nicodemus, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Impossible for you, very possible for God. For with God, nothing will be impossible. How could a motley crew of disciples in an upper room become the church that would turn the world upside down? Illiterate fishermen. When they spoke before the Pharisees, the Pharisees knew exactly. These are Galileans. These are fishermen. These are illiterate fishermen from Galilee. Do you hear their southern accent? They sound like a bunch of hicks. They sound like a bunch of rednecks. They didn't even go to Bible college. They don't even have a doctorate degree. Matter of fact, they don't even have a bachelor's degree. Who are these guys? But we perceive they have been with Jesus. See, that's the important thing. The important thing is not how many letters you have behind your name. That's okay if you've got letters behind your name. But what's more important is, do men know whether you've been with Jesus? What does your life communicate? Not just your words, but what does your life communicate? How could this motley crew of disciples turn the world upside down? Well, with God, nothing will be impossible. God says He'll take the foolish things and the weak things to put to shame the wise and the mighty. How is He going to do that? Because with God, nothing will be impossible. We live in the worst economy since the Great Depression. Some say it's even worse. I don't know if it is or if it isn't. One of the names of God is Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. Abraham declared that when God provided the ram in the bush so that Abraham would not have to sacrifice his son Isaac. And he said, the Lord will provide. How will the Lord our provider who, by the way, Deuteronomy 8.18 says he gives the power to get wealth. How will the Lord, our provider, who gives the power to get wealth, how will he provide when provision is scarce? Some of you are asking that very question. Some of you got your tax bill this week. I know because I got mine. And I'm going... Now, how am I going to pay that? Well, with God, all things are possible. Do you believe that? Now, I'm not talking about pie in the sky. I'm not talking about you just sitting on the couch watching man versus wild while believing God for provision to come in. Well, pastor said that with all God, all things are possible, so I'm just going to sit here and Watch cable TV until my provision comes because I'm trusting God. No, you're not. You're not trusting God. You're tempting God, but you're not trusting Him. How can God take five barley loaves and two small fish and multiply it and feed thousands? You know, back then they only counted men, so it was a multitude of 5,000. That was 5,000 households. You realize they probably fed fifteen to 20,000 people? With five barley loaves and two small fish, how did God do that? Because with God, 
nothing will be impossible. How is God going to take what you offer up to him freely? Now, here's, here's, here's a qualifier. How do you offer it up to God? Do you offer it grudgingly? Do you offer it out of necessity? Or do you offer it freely? Because you believe that this is really the God of the impossible, that, that he is really the God who declared nothing will be impossible. So you freely give of yourself, of your time, of your talents, of your treasure, trusting that God knows how to multiply the barley loaves and the fishes. How will God bring a mighty transformation to our lives? Some of you need a transformation in your life. There are families that need transformation. There are marriages that need transformation. There are individuals that need transformation. We have a city, a county, a state, and a nation that needs transformation. I got news for you. There's a church that needs transformation. How is God going to bring transformation? How is he going to do that? To our families, to our neighbors, to our nation. To his church, he's going to do it the same way he does every other seemingly impossible thing. He has declared with God, nothing will be impossible. He is the God of resurrection life and resurrection power. He is the author of new life. Truly, truly, listen to me church, truly, with him nothing will be impossible to those who have faith, to those who believe. Mark 9.23, Jesus said, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Now, if I just left you right there, you could walk away from this message thinking, Man, well, I can just, if I can believe for anything, then... And so we need to take the whole counsel of God to understand what God is really declaring here. Amen? So we talked about the power that's in his life. And we talk about the possibility that's in his will. And this is what's really important for us to begin to understand. Let's let's talk about faith, the pleasure that's in our faith. Hebrews 11.1 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And in verse 6 it says, but without faith it is impossible to please God. The pleasure that's in our faith, the pleasure I'm talking about first and foremost is the pleasure that we bring to God through our faith. You see, when we talk about pleasure, we automatically want to go to, well, where's my pleasure? Well, God's not going to deny you pleasure, but But we need to understand, the most important person to pleasure is God. And the Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So God God has pleasure in our faith. And if we purpose to please God through our faith, guess what's going to happen to us? we will also experience the pleasure. We will be pleased. Someone that you love dearly, now think about this, 
Guys, let me just use the guys as an example because I'm a guy, okay? And I know how this works. How many of you men have ever mistakenly said this to your wife? Honey, why don't you do this for me anymore like you used to? And she said, well, why aren't you the same person you were that you used to be? I mean, think about all those cards and all those flowers and all those things you do when you're trying to win her over. And there was no expense too great. You, you always seem to find time, right? We found time, men, to make it to the, to the candy store, make it to the flower shop, go pick that card up. Then one day we get married. Now, some of you guys are laughing. I don't know what y'all are laughing about. Then one day you get married. Time passes. Funny thing, we never make it to the flower shop, to the candy store, to the card shop anymore, right? Matter of fact, sometimes we think, oh, wow, gosh, today is her birthday. Oh, man, I got to go. Let's see, what can I do? Uh, hmm, what's open? Oh, it's already 6 o'clock. Well, Walmart. Walmart never closes. Thank God for Walmart. <laughs> What happened? What did time do? See, the same thing happens in our relationship with, with the Lord. This is, what, this is what Jesus wrote to the church at Ephesus. He said, tell them that they have left their first love. It didn't mean that they didn't love Jesus anymore. But there, there was something about that love that there just became dull. Husbands, I don't doubt that you love your wives. I believe you do love them, but, but what's happened to that love? When we talk about finding our greatest pleasure, there was a time when you, you got great pleasure by making her happy, right? Now, you just kind of take her for granted. Do we have and do we find our greatest pleasure in pleasing the Lord? Do we think of God in those terms or do we see God as just someone that we receive from? God, what are you going to do for me today? Or do we live our lives in such a way that we obtain our greatest pleasure by pleasing Him? See, this, this is the way it works. When we come to that place where we find our greatest pleasure in pleasing Him, this is what the Bible calls joy unspeakable and full of glory. It's not, it's not a burden. It's not an obligation. It's not something you hate doing. I've got to do. No. Just like men, you can think back when you were courting your wife. It wasn't a burden to get that card. It wasn't a burden to do those things. It wasn't. And maybe now, and if it is, then we need to ask ourselves, why is it? Man, I'm digging myself a deep hole here. I wish my wife was doing children's church today so she wouldn't hear this message. But it's the truth. And so God has pleasure in our faith. And that should cause us 
not only pleasure, but we should seek to please Him. So like the Pharisees and even the disciples of Jesus, if we're looking, listen, if we're looking to what we are able to see, we're not trusting in what is not seen. Why? Because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If we're looking to things that we can see, then we're not trusting in what is not seen. The miracle is not in trusting what you can see. The miracle is in trusting what you cannot see. Yeah, if God caused you to win the lottery every week and you were rolling in the dough and didn't have a care in the world, who needs faith? Who needs faith for what we can see? Well, faith speaks of what we cannot see. The miracle is that we trust what you cannot see. Faith speaks of what is not seen. The miracle of faith, listen, the greatest miracle of faith is the reality of our life in Christ. The reality of the eternal life that we have been given in Jesus Christ. And we are to walk in the expectancy of miraculous faith every day. Do you know faith is miraculous? Faith speaks of the miraculous because faith speaks of that which is not seen. It's the substance of things not seen. It's the evidence of what we know to be true even though we can't see it. The just shall live by faith. And so we're to walk by faith and not by sight. Romans 1.17 So when we say that, when we talk about the expectancy, when I say we are to walk in the expectancy of miraculous faith every day, trusting that God is continually working in us. Do you believe God is working in you right now? Do you believe right now God is working in you? Doesn't matter whether you can feel it, or not. You might be sitting there fighting to stay awake because you had to work all night. Bless your heart. But that doesn't mean God's not working in you. Because it doesn't matter whether you're awake or not awake. God never sleeps and God never slumbers. So God never stops working in us. God never stops interceding on behalf of us. His Spirit lives in you and His Spirit ever makes intercession for you question is, do you believe that? Do you know that? Are you going through life, walking through life, being moved by everything you see or even the things that you don't see? I can't see God working, so I don't believe that He is. No. Believe that He is, whether you can see Him working or not, because the Scripture declares He is always working. This is why we're told to walk by faith and not by sight. God is always working in us, through us, and around us. Yes, in ways we can see, but even more so in ways we do not yet see. You've heard the old saying, hindsight's twenty twenty. How many of you can think of situations you've gone through in your life that you would never want to walk through again, but now you look back and you say, you know what, I see the hand of God. I see what God was doing in that situation. But in the midst of that situation, you, you had no clue what God was doing. But now, since you've come through the other side and you're looking back, you see the hand of God that never left your life, that was always upon your life. If it was true then, when I'm telling you it, it is true now. God hasn't stopped working. God has not stopped 
His eternal purpose is eternal. That means it doesn't have a beginning and it doesn't have an end. There's no stopping point. His work and his purpose in you is eternal. It is taking place even right now. In the heights of your joy, in the very depths of your despair. And we do experience despair sometimes. And if somebody says that we shouldn't, just don't pay attention to them. Because... It's not whether we should or shouldn't. The reality is life will bring despair to you if you live long enough. And you don't have to live very long to experience it. But the question is, in the depths of your despair, do you believe that God is still working? That God has never left you, has never forsaken you? That he is bringing about the good that he promised he would bring about through all things, through every situation. The good, the bad, and the ugly. We are not to be a people who look at the impossible, but a people who walk by faith, knowing with God nothing will be impossible. Don't look at the impossible, look to God, because He is the God of the impossible. Amen, church? He's the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the one who began a good work in us and has promised to complete it even until the day of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12.2, Philippians 1.6. Do you look at the work that has remains incomplete or are you looking at what God has done in your life? See, we can, we can look at our life and say, man, look at all this work that still needs to be done. Or we can say, look at what God has done. Parents, you can look at your children and say, well, you know, I just, I just wish my kids could be this. Or you can look at your kids and say, praise God, I'm so proud of my kids because of what God has done in their life. Husbands, wives, you can look at each other and say, man, I just, man, I just wish they would. Uh. Or you could say, I, I'm so blessed to have my wife. I'm so blessed to have my husband. What are you going to look at? What are you going to focus on? The Bible says the mindset on the flesh is death. If you spend your time looking at your flesh, you know what the Bible says your flesh is? It says it's sinful. You'll never make your flesh not be sinful. You'll never make your flesh spiritual. Flesh is flesh and it's sinful. That's it. You spend your time looking at your flesh. You spend your time trying to get your flesh to become spiritual. Your mind is set on, the de- on death. Because your flesh is never going to be anything except sinful. That's why it's going to die and pass away one day and God's going to give you a new body. A glorified body that's not bound by sin and death. But... What are we to look at? Looking unto Jesus. Beholding as in the mirror the very image of the Lord, we are being transformed into that same image. We see dimly now, but then we shall know even as we are known. Who are we to be looking at? Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So faith is not waiting to see what will happen. Faith is active and moving in the direction of things not seen. Faith does not grow weary while doing good, but it endures to reap in season. You hearing me? Faith does not grow weary while doing good, but it endures to reap in due season. Faith does not just wait. Faith works. How does faith works work? Galatians 5, 6 says faith working by 
love. And what does the Bible say about love? Love never fails. If our faith is working by love, you know what that means? It means our faith won't fail either. Faith is not blind, but faith sees the things not seen. Faith endures beyond our time, building for those who will come after us. How do you think we stand here today and read this Bible and speak of this faith? Somebody, somebody's faith endured beyond their time. Parents, for your children, consider the endurance of your faith. Consider, will your faith endure beyond your time? And will it be passed on to your children? What are your children learning from your faith or lack thereof? Faith is not defined by what we receive. Listen, faith is defined by how freely we give. There's a lot of theology out there that says faith is defined by what we see. By what we receive, by how big my bank account is, by how expensive my car is, how big my home is, where I buy my clothes. That's not faith. Faith is not about what you receive. Faith is about how freely you will give. Faith does not hold on to the past. Faith holds on to the truth. Faith does not walk by sight. Faith walks regardless of sight. The gift of faith is not given to us so that we will, so that our will, listen, the gift of faith is not given to us so that our will can be fulfilled. That's not why God gave you faith, so that your will can be fulfilled. The gift of faith is given to us so that His will can be fulfilled. Faith must never be conditional upon our will. Faith is to be unconditional in His will. Lord, if you'll do this for me, then I'll believe. No. You just set yourself up for defeat. The question is, are you going to believe whether God does for you what you want Him to do or not? Because He doesn't change. He's not going to stop being God just because you don't get what you want. Now here is the work of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.11 says, If that same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, it will strengthen your mortal body. So the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in His children. Amen? If you're his child this morning, that same spirit, the very same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the day we're celebrating today, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, Easter Sunday. Listen, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, it dwells in you right now if you're a child of God. And not only will it strengthen your mortal body, but it's molding and shaping your heart and your mind to be conformed to the glorious image of the Son of God that we would walk in the character and the integrity, manifesting the very life and nature of Christ. God, by His Spirit, is causing our will to be conformed to His will. Listen, this is the most powerful and transformational aspect of prayer. Prayer is not about you getting your 
wish list answered. Prayer, most importantly, is about you coming to be conformed to the will of God. And this is really the work of the Spirit in prayer. Not that our will is accomplished, but that His will is accomplished. And that our will and His will become one. How many of you, how many of you were kids once? If you were ever a kid, raise your hand. A few of you, okay. <laughs> I don't know about the rest of y'all, but anyways. Can you ever remember being a kid and you just didn't understand why your parents wouldn't let you do certain things? And you got mad at your parents because they wouldn't let you do certain things? But then you grew up one day and you became an adult. How many of you can think back on instances where you said, you know, I, I totally get why my parents did what they did? I thought they were so unreasonable. I thought they didn't love me. I thought they were just being hard. But now I realize they were just trying to be good parents. Even if they may have been misguided, they were really were trying to, to help me, not hurt me. See, this is what, this what, is what happens in prayer. Listen, the, the Spirit of God is molding and shaping you. And you come to a place where you begin to understand, hey, you know what? I, I didn't understand what was happening as I walked through this thing in my life, but now I realize God was with me all the time. God had a plan and He had a purpose in all of this. And as we grow up into Him, as we begin to mature in Christ, we begin to see that our will and His will become one. It doesn't mean that we have all the answers. It doesn't mean that we don't have questions. But it does mean... That in spite of my questions, in spite of my lack of answers, I trust him. I trust him. And I will continue to trust him, even though I can't see right now, but my faith says, I can't see it, but I know God has a good plan. God has a good purpose. God will work all of this together for good. I can't see how it's all going to come together, but this is what he declares. This is who he is. I will trust him. That's faith. The will of God being accomplished may not always look the way we think it should. Have you ever noticed that? Do you trust Him even when you cannot see what your desire wills to see? Have you ever had a desire, a will that you wanted to see brought about out of your own desire and it didn't happen? We all have. But do we trust Him even though our will and our desire is, remains unseen, unfulfilled? Do you trust that He, you trust that His will shall be done on earth as it is in heaven, even when you cannot see it? This is what Jesus told us to pray for. Faith is trusting in His will even when our own will is not realized. Christ is risen. Do you believe that? Well, I know you do. But the question is, will you walk by faith and not by sight? Now, I believe Christ is risen. I didn't see him rise. I didn't see him crucified. I didn't see him put in the tomb. I didn't see him come out of the tomb, but I believe. 
Some people would say that's illogical. Why would you believe in something you've never seen? Well, I'm not from Missouri. That's one reason. See, EJ got that because she's from Missouri, Illinois. The show me state. See, it's not about seeing with this or understanding with this. It's about this right here. It's about your spirit. I believe he's risen, not because I saw him rise, but because in my heart of hearts, I know he is alive. I know he lives in me. His spirit bears witness. I know. I know that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me right now. I can't explain to you how I know that. I just know it's true. I'm not even going to try to explain how I know that because there's no logical explanation for it. There's not. Faith is not about logic. It's about faith. And are we going to be people of faith or are we not? Will you walk by faith and not by sight? Will you walk in the life and the power of the risen Lord, refusing to be moved by what you see or what you do not yet see? This is what faith calls us to. Will you surrender to Him and submit your will to His will? I see, that's a tough one. This is why we want to believe that our faith can control God because we really don't want to just give it all to Him. We don't want to come to the place of utter out of controlness. That's not a word, but you understand what I'm saying, right? I don't want to be utterly out of control. I want to maintain some level of control here. You have no level of control. God is in control. Do you trust Him? Do you trust Him? Yeah, you have choices. You chose to come here today. But I'm telling you what, when it's all said and done, He is Lord. Whether we like it or not, He is. Do you trust Him to be the Lord of your life? Do you? Will you freely give yourself to the work of the Holy Spirit to mold you and to shape you into the instrument of His will and His purpose? Not your own will and not your own purpose. God, I wanted to be a famous singer one day. I wanted to be a president one day. Lord, I wanted to be a... a they did the survey. They asked the just present generation. Now, tell me if you know the answer to this survey question. It was a real simple. They asked this generation, would you rather be the president of a college or a famous entertainer? Guess what won, hands down? President of the college. No, not really. <laughs> Everybody wanted to be a famous entertainer. Now, here's the thing. What if God says, you're not going to be a famous entertainer, you're going to be the president of a college? I don't want to be the president of a college. Personally, I believe that God puts the desires in our hearts. But I think sometimes the culture shapes our desires, and we have unreasonable desires. And we need to submit those desires to the will of God and allow God to be the one that ultimately channels that and molds and shapes us and brings us to this place. So it comes down to this thing of submitting your will to the will of God. Will you freely submit your will to His will? This is the question. Will you surrender to His will today? Will you open your heart to Him and allow Him to have His way in your life? 
1 Corinthians 12, Paul's talking about the body. We are the body of Christ. And 1 Corinthians 12, they're fighting in the, the Corinthian church. They're fighting over the gifts of the Spirit. And some are saying, I speak in tongues and you don't. My gift is better than your gift. You know, my gift's better than your gift. And, and they're just dividing over all of these things. And Paul writes this letter and he comes in and he says, you guys are so carnal. You are so immature. It doesn't matter if you have faith that can move mountains. It doesn't matter if you give your body to be burned. It doesn't matter what you do. If you don't have love, what is love? Love is a fruit of the Spirit. Love is the manifestation of the life of God that's in us. And he says, you guys aren't manifesting the life of God. You guys are manifesting your carnal nature. Do you not understand that the Spirit of God gives gifts as He wills? He said, look, we're like a body. You all want to be a mouth, but you can't all be a mouth because if we're all the mouth, then we don't have a body. God made some of you to be ears. God made some of you to be little toes. God made some of you to be elbows. God made some of you to be feet. God made some of you to be hands. God made you to be what you are to be by His will by his purpose, he didn't ask you first. He said, this is what you're going to be. You're going to be an ear. And Paul says, every part of the body is necessary. Every part of the body is important. Can't you see that? Because every part makes up the whole. Can you submit your will to the will of God? Can you be content? To become what God has purposed for you to become. When tragedy strikes your life. When you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And you come out different. On the other side. And maybe you don't like the way you came out. Do you trust that God knows what he's doing? That he is leading you to a higher place. To higher ground. That he knows how to take even the bad and the ugly of your life. And make it good. Do you believe that? This is what faith is. When I say with God all things are possible, nothing will be impossible, this is what I'm talking about. Some of you need to believe God for your marriages. Some of you need to believe God for your families. Some of you need to believe God for the situations in your life, the situations on your job, the situations. You need to believe God. You need to quit looking at the impossible and you need to look to the God who is God of the impossible. You need to begin to believe that God is bigger than what your impossible situation might be. Some of you just need to surrender and submit your will to God and be done and let God be Lord of your life. If you'll call upon Him today from a heart of faith, the Bible says you will be saved. If you will, Humble yourself today under His mighty hand. The Scripture says that in due time, He will lift you up. You believe that? I pray you do. I pray you will consider these things. He is risen, and He will raise you up in His life. Amen? If you will believe, if you will believe, if you will trust Him, let's all stand.
Over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about the culture of the church and and the vision Christ Fellowship has to see our culture changed, not just in the church, but around us. We're going to talk about fulfilling the mission that God has given, not just to this church, but the church. And I invite you, I invite you to come next week and the weeks following to be challenged. To see if God might not begin to reveal to you your part to play. Because see, this isn't just about pastors and elders. The mission of the church is for all of us because we are the church. You've got to go out and you've got to begin to affect the people that God has put in and around your life. You've got to be the salt of the earth. You've got to be the light. You've got to become the leaven that leavens the lump. Amen? So I invite you to come back. Father, I just pray right now for everyone in this place. Lord, we've talked about the power The power that's in your life. Lord, the possibility that's in your will. The pleasure you find in our faith, God. And I I pray, God, that we would find pleasure in pleasing you. The Spirit of God that's working in us even right now, God, that has never stopped working, that has never stopped molding and shaping through our situations and our circumstances. Father, I pray that your will would be done in your people. I pray, God, that you would begin to break down the hardness of hearts, that you'd begin to break down the walls of defense that have been put there uh, because of the things that we have all experienced in life. I pray, God, that we would not be a people that would mistrust you, but we would be a people that would trust you. And in trusting you, God, we would begin to trust one another. And we would begin to see your life and your love begin to work in us and through us and around us, that you would be glorified in your church, Lord Jesus. Lord, on this most glorious day that we celebrate the resurrection of Christ, God, I pray that this will not be just an annual event. Pray, God, that you would help us to celebrate the resurrection every day because every day, God, if we are in Christ, we walk and we live in resurrection life and resurrection power. Don't let us forget that, God. I pray, God, today as we go, we, we just have a great time with our families and our friends. And I pray you be glorified in our conversations and all that we do today. Let this be a glorious day of celebration of your love and of your life. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen.